One mic, one voice You can change the world, it's your choice One mic, one voice You can change the world, it's your choice One mic, one voice You can change the world, it's your choice One mic, one voice Welcome to the One Mic, One Voice show, Building the Collective Conscious, a show that is created to give space where your voice, ideas, and informed opinions can be heard, appreciated, and debated. I am Michael Eric Owens, sitting in Blackened Studios. <laughs> Man, it's uh, it's not as hot as it's been, but um, wow, we had a 112 day the other day, which... Um, which for a Wisconsin boy is unbearable. <laughs> but uh, I'm so excited to be here with you, with our listeners, listening across the globe to one mic, one voice. We got exciting show. Oh, man, a lot is going on in our country. Episode one, two, two, one double deuces. Um, the title of our show is The Collapsing of American democracy, the collapsing of American democracy. And, you know, this comes in kind of the um, the backdrop of uh, our um, the American president uh, having a summit or a secret meeting with the Russian Federation president, um, Vladimir Putin. And uh, that private meeting that took place between them two where no one was allowed in the room except for the interpreters. Um, And this is unheard of. It's unprecedented for a um, United States sitting president to have a closed door meeting between him and one of the major adversaries to Um, Western democracy, not just to the American democracy, but to all of our allies, to NATO. And the um, the evidence now that uh, the Russians have um, have, uh, you know, technologically, um, you know, influenced the American electoral system. And to what degree we're still discovering that. But the collapsing of American democracy. Are we, are we even under a democratic system? Um, that's a very important question because I think many of us, and we know that civics is uh, here nor there in uh in schools any longer and no longer are you uh, required to uh, even on the uh, you know even in the academy you're required to uh, take a uh, constitutional course or government course Um, and and we see that many people are disconnected from the political process so I uh, beg to differ that Uh, Many understand the government in which they are subject to. And I do use that word subject to because we have heard um, that we the people, um, the government for the people, by the people. Uh, But I believe uh, if we analyze our system, uh, historically, many uh, in the American experience have been subject and not participants in the quote-unquote democracy. So I thought it was a good idea to just go and break down what type of system of government are we in. So, folks, take a listen, and uh, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about it. What we're going to do in this video is discuss some of the foundational ideas for the United States of America. And we could start at the most foundational of ideas, and that's the notion of natural rights. John Locke, one of the significant Enlightenment thinkers, describes rights like life, liberty, and you might expect me to say pursuit of happiness, which is what we see in the Declaration of Independence, but John Locke refers to life, liberty, and 
property. But even though his version is a little bit different than what ends up in the Declaration of Independence, most historians believe that Thomas Jefferson was heavily influenced by John Locke's idea of natural rights when Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. And the idea here is that these are rights that people should be born with, that should never be taken away from them. And in the video on social contract, we talk about the idea of why someone would form a government. They would form a government, they would give some rights to a government in order to protect these basic rights, things like life, liberty, property, the pursuit of happiness. And so you might have some other rights that one would say in a state of nature people might have, the right to have do physical harm on others, the right to imprison others, the right to tax others. But in a social contract, we decide, hey, instead of everyone trying to figure out things on their own, let's give these rights to a government. And in exchange, the government should protect should protect all of these rights for the individuals. And once again, this is review from the social contract video. This is a notion of a social contract. Now the next question is, all right, so if we are willing to engage in the social contract with a government, what type of a government should it be? And throughout most of human history, governments have been things like monarchies, where you have a single individual, maybe a king or queen, an emperor, some type of a conqueror, who is the sovereign, who rules over the state. But you could have, you could, instead of having one, you could have a small group, which would be an oligarchy. Or you could go to the other extreme, where the people are sovereign. And the word for that, and this is a key idea for the United States, is popular. Popular sovereignty. The people are sovereign. The government is accountable to the people. Sometimes this could be referred to as democracy. Now, the founding fathers of the United States were a little bit suspicious of pure democracy or direct popular sovereignty. They were afraid that if you start having factions and a majority faction were to come to power, if you have a straight democracy, then they might use that power to strip some of the natural rights of, say, their political enemies or people that they just don't agree with. And so you have this other idea of limited government. Limited government. And some of the key things that limit the government, you could just say generally the rule of law, things like the Constitution, including how the government is structured, the checks and balances in it, the Bill of Rights, clearly is a check on government. And you don't just have limited government when you have a democracy. You could have a limited government even in a monarchy. The United Kingdom is officially a constitutional monarchy where you have a monarch who's sovereign, has very limited powers because of things like the rule of law. Now, the last idea that we're going to talk about in this video is the no notion of a republic or the idea of republicanism. Because the founding fathers didn't actually like calling the United States a democracy. Instead, they favored calling it a republic. And the word republic can mean different things to different people today, depending on what context you use. To some folks today, it means any form of government that not, that's not a monarchy. To other folks, it means, okay, you have a democracy, you have popular sovereignty, but you have limited government. You still have rights that protect minorities, rights that make sure that even if people are not in the majority, they are protected. To the founding fathers, they had a version of this notion of republic. They did view a republic as something that would prevent the passions of an unfettered, pure democracy. But they thought it came mainly by having a representative democracy. That if you had a smaller group of elected representatives, as opposed to everyone getting involved in every issue, that they could calm the passions of the crowds, so to speak. They also thought it was logistically more practical. Sure, ancient Athens could have something closer to a pure democracy, but that was just a small city-state. While here, even the 13 colonies were significantly more vast, and obviously the United States would become even more vast than that. And to appreciate this notion of a republic, right over here is a quote from 
James Madison in the Federalist Papers number 10. And just for some context on what the Federalist Papers even were, as we mentioned, shortly after the Declaration of Independence, the Founding Fathers start drafting the Articles of Confederation. They go into effect in 1781, but this is really a loose confederation of states that each individually think of themselves as sovereign states. And it's really a pact that they'll engage in war together, diplomacy together, free trade. But you have Shays' Rebellion, and it's very clear, and we'll talk about this in other videos, that the Articles of Confederation are not powerful enough. And so you have a constitutional convention in mid-1787 in which James Madison is a central figure. Some people discuss him as the father of the U.S. Constitution. They draft what is today the Constitution, but then they have to sell it to the states in order for it to be ratified. Alexander Hamilton has the idea of, hey, why don't we publish a series of papers? And they eventually publish 85 papers, which will collectively be known as the Federalist Papers. And Hamilton writes most of them, but he also recruits James Madison and John Jay. And Federalist Papers number 10, which is perhaps the most famous, is James Madison's discussion of how do you avoid factions taking over the government and doing things that are not in the interest of the people. And I encourage you to read all of Federalist Papers number 10. But I have a very small quote here. And this is James Madison's notion of what a republic was. And he thought the United States should be a republic. The two great points of difference between a democracy and a republic are, first, the delegation of government in the latter, so he's talking about a republic, to a small number of citizens elected by the rest. So he's really talking about representative democracy, but he thought this was a key component of being a republic. Secondly, the greater number of citizens and greater sphere of country over which the latter may be extended. That only through a representative government could you actually govern over 13 colonies or even beyond 13 colonies. And that's why today, obviously, you might have had something closer to a pure democracy in ancient Athens, which was a city-state. But today, almost any democracy is some form of representative democracy, which James Madison would consider to be a republic. But if you wanted to classify the United States today, a fair term might be it is a democratic republic. You definitely have popular sovereignty. The people are considered sovereign, but they don't rule directly. They rule through representatives, which by Madison's definition would make it a republic. So now that you're armed with some of these basic ideas, I encourage you to engage even more. All right. More. Well, uh, there's a lot to break down in that presentation. Um, well, I think, uh, delivered. And this idea of a democracy is kind of more complicated than on the surface. So he spoke about these natural rights that should be afforded everyone, you know, simply because of your birth, right? And we understand the challenges that America has had to deal with, um, with life and property and so forth. So I, what I want to point out is the difference between, say, what the ancient Greeks had, which was, it was just men, and it was a city-state, um, but that was a direct, pure democracy, right? Yeah. And we can talk about that in the sense that property owners were the only ones. And so there was a level of discrimination there. But on the basis of 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 democratic thought or theory or practice, one vote equals everybody has the same amount of power when it comes to a democratic system. Um, your vote has no more power than mine in a pure direct democracy, right? But the founding fathers didn't want that, and, and he lays it out because of factions. They wanted to prevent that sort of thing in the government, and so uh, what they thought was, and, and this is really getting to the popular vote, and we'll talk about that a little later in the broadcast, but this idea of a republic, this idea of a representative government, right? That the people themselves, dedicated, uh, uh, the people themselves delegated their power 
to certain individuals who are elected, right? Uh, none of none of the idea of gerrymandering, and we will talk about that later on, comes into play uh, when 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 this is you know the 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 document, the Constitution, and so forth are, are laid out, and the separation of powers are laid out. Uh, I don't believe the conception of uh, drawing districts that would favor one or the other, because what you create by that, you create factions, right? You create a faction that can rule. And I think what we see today is a small group of people, although we have representative government um, ruling our country. Because if the president goes a certain way and um, his party supports him in that direction, regardless of what the majority of Americans want to see transpire, is that not a small group of people ruling uh, our society and this idea that so that's that that would be more like an oligarch oligarchy you know you hear people talking about that all the time when they describe uh, the the Trump administration and this idea of a small group of people um, ruling the country but but folks you know what I want you to, to to really focus in on that we have delegated we have given our power and our decision-making to people that we have elected, right? You've given it away. You don't have it. When you delegate something, you give it away. You release it. You entrust the person to carry out whatever mandate you've given them. You've given it away. And, and not like in a organizational sense where the boss can come and take it back and say, no, you're not doing that job the way I want it or you're not carrying out that responsibility the way I intended for you to. So I'm going to either micromanage you or I'm going to take it back. Well, in the democratic process, the only way we can take that back is at the ballot. That's the only way we can... We can change the direction of something is at the ballot. And that becomes complicated when you talk about national elections, because, again, we have to talk about the electoral college. Right. So these representatives of states who, well, I don't you know, the major parties determine who the delegates are. You don't even determine that. Okay. They determine that. The major parties determine that. And they determine the delegates based upon, right, who they want to win. Not necessarily you, right? So when we talk about the form of government that we are in, when you hear that the power is in the people, well, we have, you know, we, we really have to bend that, right? To make that a reality, we have to say, well, if we put enough pressure on on the representative, if we rally enough and we galvanize enough, well, maybe then we can we can persuade them. You know, in some polls, 90 percent of Americans want DECA or DACA, 90 percent. Why is it not done? Why is it not done? When you look at the the, the public opinion on the issues that are facing our country, sometimes they are diametrically opposed to the decisions that are made in Washington. How can that be? Because we have given up our power in this form of government. Now, I'm not here to say that all hope is lost, but I want you to understand the situation, right? There was a reason why the civil rights movement had to happen. It was the reason why they had to dramatize that on television because the, the, the powers that be, the government would not react. And so there is some power, right, in coming together. But, man, that's the hard way to do it. People lose their lives when you do that. There's devastation. There's rioting. There's, there, there is division when you do that. But that is a byproduct of giving up our 
power. Folks, listen, we're going to take our first break. We're going to get deeper into this, the collapsing of American democracy. We'll be right back. Oklahoma Humanities Brain Box podcast uses the humanities to take listeners on a deep dive into the issues affecting American society and culture. Join some of Oklahoma's most interesting and knowledgeable humanities scholars to explore how history, literature, ethics, philosophy, and other humanities fields inform our understanding of current events and the human experience. And to find the Brain Box podcast, simply search Brain Box podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, and any other podcasting library. If you have any ideas or comments rattling around in your noggin, email us at brainbox at okhumanities.org. This is Dr. Laura Gelat, and when I listen to podcasts, I always listen to the One Mic, One Voice show. Welcome back. Oh, man, we having fun in the studio. I know the topic is kind of kind of heavy. Yeah, it's all around your shoulders. It's all in your lap. You're feeling kind of weighed down by it. But that's all right, because the complexities of our society are not easy to deal with, folks. We got work to do. Do you feel represented by your elected officials? These are some important questions that I want you to ask yourself. Do you feel represented? Did your vote count in the last election? Do you feel like it counted? Did you feel like it made a difference? In what ways does your elected official hear your voice? In what ways? How are you getting your voice across to them a lot of times we think we simply put them in office and we're happy and and we move on but what about the accountability i mean that the victory is only the beginning the acceptance speech is only the beginning of the work they've made multiple promises matter of fact there's really no new promise under the sun that what, what whatever political side you find yourself on, it's the same kind of rhetoric that comes from both sides and you accept that and you have hope in that. But is that which you have hope in ever delivered? Because you've given them your power. I've given them my power. I have delegated my power to them. So how do you speak to them? Well, you can call. You can go to their office. You can write letters. You can do all those things. But are they really hearing you? I worked on a campaign of someone that I truly respected, and I'm not going to call his name out. Um, One of the smartest politicians that I knew. But I had a problem with something he said to me. He said to me that I always vote my conscience in the end. I listen to the people, but I always vote my conscience. And I questioned, I said, but you're a representative of the people's will, right? So if the majority in your district wants you to go a certain direction, should you go that direction? He said, well, not always, right? I don't. I don't know if I agree with that, right? You know, if my boss tells me I need to do something and she delegates or he delegates that to me, I think I need to do exactly that. Right? I don't think I can interject my own ideas, my own thoughts, and, and, and go against what he or she desires me to do because I am a representative of that position. Man, it's when you start thinking about it, you start thinking about the importance of electing people. You start thinking about when you go in that ballot box the next time and you vote for someone. 
I want you to envision you giving your power to that person. You're handing it over. You're saying, here it is. Do me justice. Right? Mm. It is interesting. The president is only running on the things he said. He said he was going to take us back, make America great again. He said he was going to undo everything President Obama did. So he's truthful in that way, right? His version of America, his version of white nationalism, he's truthful in that way. Why why should his supporters not love him? Because they gave their power to him, to a bigot, in my opinion, racist, in my opinion. But they gave their power to him, and he is doing their bidding. Right? So, really, we might disagree with, you know, all of that platform and, and, and all of that sexism and all the isms. We, 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 we would clearly disagree with that. However, he said, I am the isms. Vote for me. <laughs> I'm sexism. I'm, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all the isms, right? And um, vote for me. And they did. And he won. Well, you know, the, the, the story is still being uh, fulfilled. But what is the problem? What is the problem with um, our system, with America's governance? What is the problem? I want to take, let's take a listen to something here that I think points to a little bit of that, and we'll talk about it. We don't really imagine it looking like this. Child's desk, but that's okay. That's the smallest desk I've ever seen. But political scientists do. Because in a country like the U.S., the death of democracy is going to start off looking kind of normal. So normal, you might not even notice it's happening until it's too late. Well, I respect the move, but the entire thing has been a witch hunt, and uh, there is no collusion Trump's firing of former FBI director James Comey has gotten a lot of media attention, in part because it's really easy to explain why it matters. If Trump fired Comey over the Russia investigation, that would be obstruction of justice, which is a crime. But a lot of what worries political scientists about Trump is tougher to explain in a soundbite like that. Because for the most part, it's stuff that's totally legal. It turns out that government officials can exploit weaknesses in the law in ways that are destructive to the rule of law as a whole. This bearer of bad news is Aziz Huck. He's a law professor at the University of Chicago, and he's written a lot about a concept called democratic backsliding, which kind of sounds like something Hillary Clinton does at a wedding. Backsliding is what happens when a democratically elected government starts attacking the institutions that make democracy work. I know, the dance thing was cooler. And Huck argues that what makes backsliding so dangerous is that it's really hard to know when it starts. In many other countries, the way that we see democratic backsliding happening is through a series of discrete legal changes, each of which is on their own completely lawful. A great example of what backsliding looks like is Venezuela's former president, Hugo Chavez. Ah, the 90s. Chavez was elected as a democratic populist, but over time, he changed. And while remaining popular, Chavez has been anything but democratic. He got frustrated with opposition from courts and the media, so he started doing things like firing judges, using anti-defamation laws to silence journalists, and even describing unfriendly news organizations as, quote, enemies of the homeland. Los dueños de medios dicen mentiras, elaboran mentiras. Los medios de comunicación no siempre están al servicio de la verdad. What's scary about Chavez's story is that he didn't need a military coup to screw up Venezuela's democracy. The man who came to office by democracy is doing everything he can to snuff it out. He did it legally by slowly turning his supporters and political allies against the country's democratic institutions. 
Yo les recomiendo que se tomen un calmante, que cojan mínimo, porque si no, yo les voy a aplicar el mínimo. Yo mismo les voy a aplicar el mínimo. Autocrats in other parts of the world have gone after those institutions very early on in the process of backsliding. And that's what worries political scientists about Trump. Trump shows a deep distrust of America's democratic institutions. He lashes out at judges, calls journalists the enemy of the people, accuses watchdog agencies of conspiring against him. He questions the legitimacy of an election that he won. His White House stonewalls reporters to avoid answering questions. Off. Off. It's off. He is suspicious of the mechanisms that limit his authority. This is an unprecedented judicial overreach. And he encourages his supporters to be, too. That is a catastrophic thing to be happening in a democracy. It's how democratic backsliding starts. But the thing is, none of this is illegal. As long as Republicans in Congress go along with it, there's nothing to stop Trump from publicly criticizing basic democratic institutions. Our constitution just doesn't do a very good job of protecting us against certain kinds of democratic failure. Whether we're in a moment of democratic backsliding really depends upon the character of our political leaders. Which brings us back to Comey and why it's so hard to talk about democratic backsliding without sounding paranoid. We live in a media environment that is really bad at putting things in context, that is designed to bombard us with breaking news and discrete pieces of information. And that makes it hard to identify democratic backsliding when it starts. Because unless it clearly breaks the law, it's really tough to explain why any one Trump tweet or scandal poses a threat to democracy. So when Trump calls a federal judge a so-called judge it's just a one-off comment does anyone honestly believe president trump is going to ignore this judge's order because he's a quote so-called judge when trump calls the press the enemy of the american people it's all talk he sounds like a broken record it's just kind of like what else you got donald trump i don't think that new media are well designed to tell this kind of story because those those media are designed to convey information in very small chunks the real story is not the discrete action at a particular moment in time but some bigger picture democratic backsliding is one of those things that you can't really see from up close it is only when you when you look at changes in the aggregate that one sees the effect upon democracy as a, a set of institutions and practices that doesn't mean the comey stuff isn't important obstruction of justice is obviously a big deal. But some of the biggest threats to democracy are way less dramatic, way more normal looking. And if you're waiting for the CNN Chiron announcing that it's time to panic, you're gonna be waiting for a long time. Wow. Exploit weakness in the law. So those that are uh, in charge of making sure that all of these democratic institutions are protected, um, find ways to exploit weakness in the law. Democratic backsliding. Backsliding. This idea of attacking the institutions that make it, that, that make the democratic process work. <laughs> I mean, come on. If, if, if we have not seen, if you would not agree with me that we have not seen an attack on the institutions of this country that are, that are in place to maintain a balance of power and accountability and transparency, then if you can't agree with me on that, then I, I tell you what, I don't think you can ever agree with me on anything. Because this is clearly... We're living in an era where these institutions are under attack. When you talk about judges, you talk about the press, we talk about the legal system, and we're going to go into those democratic institutions here in a minute. But when you talk about those, those institutions being attacked and then the supporters of the attacker going after them, this is Russia's playbook. Their playbook is to create through disinformation, misinformation, is to create chaos and mistrust 
not just among American people, but the very institutions that govern and protect us. If we can question those institutions and mistrust them, then our democracy will collapse. Folks, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and we're going to get into these democratic institutions. Don't go nowhere. We're on the downside of the show right now. But I think the downside is a little bit deeper, too. So hang in there. We'll be right back. This is Roxy Davis. And this is Deborah Burris. And we are the Roxy by Design Show. Our show is designed to bring healing as we share our stories while God redesigns our lives. So take a ride with us. So you can find us at Podbean, iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter, and blackandstudios.com. So thank you everyone for listening to the Roxy by Design Show. You have a blessed day. And we love you. This is DT of the One Mic, One Voice podcast. just want to let you guys know you can go over to iTunes and search us at One Mic, One Voice and be sure to rate and review our episodes. Let us know about any feedback that you have and what you enjoy about the episodes. Also, you can go over to Stitcher where you can get the latest and freshest episodes of our podcast streamed directly to your smartphone or iPad. No downloading or syncing. How cool. Real smooth. Also, we'd just like to take the time to thank you for your time and for your energy and for spending time with us as we discuss the historical record of our time. Delegating our power, releasing our authority. Yeah, believing in those whom we place in office that they will do our bidding for us it is a beautiful thing or one of the most corrupt things one may experience (laughs) placing your trust in someone that you think has your interests in mind it's very personal it's extremely personal If you think that the weight of the people in a certain area, in a certain space, the trust that those people place in an individual is not personal. It has to do with their families. It has to do with their jobs. It has to do with the water they drink, Flint, Michigan, Michigan, right? It has to do with the air that they breathe. It has to do with, guess what, the homes they live in. What about fracking? Right. What about the, 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 the freeway that comes through that, that urban you know, renewal through um, eminent domain takes your property, right? Yeah, it's deeply personal. Who we place in office. Because, again, again, I'm trying to get this thing through your head is that you are releasing your power. Now, again, I know people are going to say there, you know what, we're American people, we can mobilize. and Yeah, 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 we've seen that throughout history, and that's what it takes. But I'm saying when you go into that ballot box, you are releasing your authority to the person you are voting on. You know, God forbid the person you didn't vote for don't get an office. So you are probably not represented at all. Um, But let's talk about these democratic institutions, this um, term democratic backsliding, attacking the institutions that make the representative democracy that we have. Remember, right, not a direct democracy, not a pure democracy, but a representative democracy that we have work. 
these democratic institutions, the politicizing independent institutions, healthy democracies have strong independent institutions such as law enforcement, the civil service. They operated with a degree of insulation from the whims of political leaders, thereby constraining a power-hungry ruler. We're talking about the Justice Department. We're talking about the FBI. What's going on right now? What's going on right now with the Justice Department? What's going on right now in the FBI? Would you say to me today that they are operating independently? They're trying. Many of them are trying. But as this Mueller investigation unfolds with Michael Flynn, Sally Yates, right? Remember that? She went to the president, said, hey, look, this guy's compromised. 18 days it took to remove a guy that was compromised by the Russians. Right? The president went and put pressure. Said, hey, hey, yeah, come on, lay off uh, Flynn. These are supposed to be independent institutions that maintain their power without influence from outsiders, right? Not that they're not accountable. They have to come and report and, and be transparent about what, what their findings are, but they cannot be manipulated. That causes a kink in the representative democracy and we see that we see that happening right now so the people that you have given your power to what are they doing about that the republicans are in charge i'm I'm stating a fact i'm not again i'm not i'm not bashing republicans i'm saying they're in charge what are they doing about maintaining the the independence of those institutions what about the idea of spreading disinformation? Oh, my God. Disinformation. We see that. <laughs> oh, my. We see that daily coming out of the White House, coming out of what Sarah Huckabee Sanders, supporting things that and telling us things that we know not to be true. This man from the start, even before that, right, we can we can travel back into Trump's history. But even at the start of his inauguration, when he said he had the biggest crowd ever. Right. Because then we fall into the area of fake news. We fall into the area where we are targeting the press. Let me tell you how dangerous that is. We live in the information age. We live where we are inundated all the time with information. We know that the Russians have used propaganda. They've used Facebook. They've used agorism rhythms to reach people with false information in support Putin even said himself, Trump wasn't important to us until the election. He even admitted, yes, we wanted him to win. Why does he have to lie at this point? He doesn't. When he's worshipped by our president, why should he lie? So we have this attack on the press, the free press. The very people who are the stewards of information, the checks and balances, those who should be in the room, those who should ask the tough questions. Why? Because huh, do you have a direct line to the person you elected? Are you talking to them day to day? Are you having briefings with them? How else are you supposed to understand what is going on in our society if the press is fake? How is it possible? You're not in Washington. You're not on the staff. 
of your representative, your senator, unless the press delivers to you unadulterated information. Well, you say, I go to alternative news. The NPR is the press. Democracy Now! is the press. The, the, the definition of the media has expanded and the opportunity of those getting engaged in delivering information, there's a plethora out there. But if those in power disagree because they're being held accountable and they call it fake news and then those who follow them begin to call it fake news, then we, again, there's another kink in the armor of the representative democracy. Executive power, the increase of executive power. There's a reason for the separation of powers. We don't live under a king. Our president should reflect all peoples, all races, all backgrounds, all socioeconomic status. A strong democracy benefits from the separations of power within the government. Okay, let's look at this. You remember Trump criticized President Obama's executive orders. Oh, man, he went off. He said he wouldn't even have anything to do with executive orders. He, he, he believed that executive orders were, were only issued because you could not work with the other half. You could not reach a compromise. He's the deal maker. He was going to make that happen. Well, in the first 200 days of his presidency, he signed into, into law 42 executive orders. You say, well, that might not be a lot. Well, let's just look at this. Obama did 22. Bush did 24. Clinton did 25. Hmm. That's not a guy that is not grasping at power. And many of those, if not all of them, was to undo what President Obama had done. This idea that he himself should not be held accountable. And let me, let me say the, the most dangerous, the most dangerous example of this is I'm going to go into a private meeting. Nobody's coming with me. No one. With our adversary. With a guy that I, I have been praising for years now. With a guy that our intelligence community says he was the architect behind infiltrating our electoral system. He says, I'm going by myself. There's nothing you can do about it. That's another kink when you have a president that feels like he is above the law. Matter of fact, he said he could pardon himself. In other words, there's nothing you can do to me. If you convict me, I'll just pardon myself. Why? Because. According to his words, I alone can fi fix this. Quenching dissent. What, 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 one of, the, one of the greatest abilities as Americans we have is to disagree with our government. Is to stand up and say, no, you're wrong. To be able to mobilize, not just, um, in Washington, but anywhere in America that we desire to. And if we don't mobilize, we have the right as individuals to say whatever we want to say. Take this show. I'm saying whatever I want to say. Why? Because I happen to have the mic, right? And I live in a society, supposedly, that I have freedom of speech. But let's think about the NFL. Right. Let's think about Colin Kaepernick. I know some of you saying, here we go again. You know, he disrespected the flag. No, OK, he took a knee because of the injustices against black and brown people 
mainly police brutality. Right? He was punished for his self-expression. When you begin to send a chilling effect through industry, through our social services, people will not speak out. People will allow for corruption to spread. That's what's happening. When the President of the United States calls NFL players sons of bitches, man, that's harsh, man. That's man, you talking about my mother, man. You know what I mean? You don't talk about somebody's mama. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, you you leave moms alone, right? But this guy, when he interjects himself and calls people unpatriotic, this guy that never served a day in the military, this draft, this 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 draft dodger. <laughs> I mean, I, I I have to say this, folks. This might be the greatest con in America. Man, he's pulled it off. This is the greatest con. This guy calls people unpatriotic that attacks our democratic institutions that support and buttress our democracy. And you say it's okay. Delegitimizes communities. Democracies in diverse societies depend on protecting the rights of minorities. Okay. I don't care how you feel about Obamacare. The question is, do you feel like people should have access to health care? That they should, if they're sick, they should be taken care of. And if you and if you say no, then you, you you're way way gone anyway. Because let me just say this: at the foundation of humanity should be the idea that we are here for each other. And if you are hurting, if you are sick, if you are hungry, there should be a mechanism in our society to meet those needs. Our society is changing. The reality of the demographics are changing. We will be a minority majority, folks. I don't care what, what you do with immigration. I don't care what you do with, 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 with the white nationalistic movement. You're not going to change the tide because it's already, it's already coming in. And so you might as well figure out how to deal with it, how to coexist, not tolerate, coexist with all of us. And my last and final point is our election, the right to vote. Wow. Do you know the fear of black people when they first got the right to vote, trying to go in to vote. Why did they vote? Because they wanted their voice to be heard. They had a voice. Now, many of the people they were voting for had disdain for them, but they still wanted their voice to be heard. It is a shame that many black and brown folk say my vote doesn't count. Well, I don't, I, again, I, I, I can, I can, I can listen to that argument, but I think it's a foolish one. You either are going to pick the person that you delegate your power to, or they're going to take it anyway. That's your choice. A free and fair 
and regulated election are the cornerstone of this American experience. Allowing citizens to exercise their vote and their voice regarding those who govern over them is one of the most important things that we will do in this life. But let me ask you a question here. Hillary Clinton got 2.9 million more votes than Trump. You see, that's the difference. If we had had a direct democracy, a pure democracy, popular vote wins. But the representative democracy and how we pick our electors and electoral college, yeah, that's why he's sitting in office right now. But I think there's probably some other reasons. The collapsing of American democracy sounds pretty dim. Sounds like, man, there's no hope. But I tell you, there is hope. America has been through worse than Donald Trump. This is not the last dance. I know it feels as if the walls are collapsing around us and there is nothing we can do. I understand that sort of thinking. But folks, there's a lot we can do. Number one, we must not lose our hope. We must not lose our belief in each other. I'm not talking about the person you delegated your power to. I'm talking about the person that you might be sitting next to. Or the circle that you have created around you. That's what's real. That's what matters. I'm not talking about Washington. I'm talking about your neighborhood, your community. I'm talking about us. We matter. We make the difference. It's a process we have to go through. Yes, we're obligated. We should be. We should feel obligated to do it, but it's about us. Donald Trump can do what he wants to do. You and I, there's very little we can do to change that until he's up for re-election. We can change the Congress. We can change the, the state house. But this change has got to take place on the local level. It's got to take place in our communities in the, it, with, with the education. It's got to take place with our social services. This is where our hope lies. We got to get engaged. It's no time for intellectual laziness. It's no time for you to get caught up in the lull of the storm. It's no time for that. It is time for you to get engaged because I'm telling you the fabric of our representative democracy is torn and only you and I you and I are the seamstress <laughs> you and I <laughs> we can get our needles and we can begin to repair the fabric of our democracy yes write your representative yes Get engaged with an organization that is doing your bidding. Yes, vote. Do all of those things. But get engaged in your own environment. Make a difference with one, then two, then three. Show them that this American spirit, they call, this American um, compassion, this American um, 
idea of brother and sister love exists. That's what you can do. Grab your needle with me and begin to sew together the fragment of our democracy because history will speak of us. Somewhere in the distant future, a scribe will reach down deep into the archives of our time and what will she find? Will she discover that we overcame our differences? Will she find that out of many, out of many, we became one? Or will she find that we solved nothing and remain a divided peoples? Yes, history will speak of us. We can be the change that's in our life. All we gotta do is work together. We gotta raise our children better. We gotta stop the hate, stop the hate, and spread the love. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. Thank you for downloading the One Mic, One Voice show. This episode is brought to you by Blacken Studios. To learn more about Blacken Studios, go to blackenstudios.com or visit their Facebook page. The views and opinions of the One Mic, One Voice podcast show do not reflect the views of Blacken Studios or our other sponsors.